0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire.
1: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter. New York Giants Football Podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. It's a busy week for the Big Blue Banter boys. I will be going away on Thursday. I'm not exactly sure when this will drop, but it will be before then. Or then, who knows? It's a time machine. Right now, we're traveling in that. And as Matthew McConaughey once told me, time is a flat circle. But I'll be away for the weekend, for an extended weekend. Nick also will be away and... It's a busy week. Today, actually, the Big Blue Banter Boys, we, we made a mistake, got a little drunk, and we forgot to take a picture of it, as I say, picture, the correct way to pronounce the word, where you snap a photo, and in the olden days, you had to develop it. We won't get into that, but we headed down to Point Pleasant and had a day at the beach because we were both off from work, decided to spend some time. We wanted to go to Martell's Tiki Bar, but in a sign, as a sign of how old we are both getting, mm-hmm. we didn't realize that there's something called Martell Mondays down there. And the line was like out the door at 11.30. And as you get older, as you get our age, you just no longer have any interest in waiting on a line, especially one that at the end of it, after spending all that time waiting for it, you have to pay a $20 cover just to get in. And that's, you know, so that didn't happen, but we did get to spend some time Down the shore, always a great time if you live in New Jersey. You should always be spending at least part of your summer down the shore. I didn't get a chance to do it last year during COVID, so I'm happy we finally got to, and I finally got to as well. So that was fun, and on the way back, I had a song stuck in my head, Nick. I want to hear about your beach experience, but... We decide, should we should we go over what we just did? I was debating putting that in the show, by the way, what we just recorded.
2: I mean, I, <laughs> I just... think I deleted it, unfortunately.
1: Uh, or fortunately, for my sake. So you ever get a stonk stuck in your head, and you just don't know who sings it, and you're trying to figure it out? Well, this is actually, we don't we should be, based on what I'm about to say, but we're not actually sponsored by Google yet. Hint, hint, Google, get on, baby. Give us that ad money. But... Google has this new feature where if you don't know, if you're trying to remember a song and you can't remember it, you can go into Google, click this feature like right there on their search bar and you could literally hum the song into the browser and it will come up and it works flawlessly for me, Nick. So I'm going to hum it real quick and then I'm going to sing it so you guys can all get a little experience. I'm going to do a brief thing of how bad my voice is, my singing voice is, but let's see if anyone could pick it up just from the hum because Google, if not, then computers are seriously taking over. So it's hmm so it ended up being time by Hootie blowfish and i wanted to know what it was because i thought it was another pearl jam song because he has that back in the day like i feel like that those 90s rock bands have that same exaggerated voice where like if you met eddie vetter would you be like hey, would they, is that how you would introduce himself like how did these <laughs> is this just their voice
2: on song there's no way they talk like that right no, I highly doubt they do. And I think Vedder's been on Rogan. So he had somebody recently okay. who was like an 80s or 90s rock star. I don't think he was talking like that, but All right. I, I never really got into a, to Pearl Jam, to be honest. That's about. the main
1: reason I can never get into Pearl Jam, because I hate the voice. And I feel like the voice is such
2: BS. He's, like, a, he's iconic, though, too. I know. Everybody
1: it. loves Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam. Like Maybe I got to give him a second chance. I'm sure some of the riffs I like. I'm sure the music is written beautifully. But when you have that exaggerated voice, like... <laughs> Do big anyway, how does this sound <laughs> is this is this yeah. what you guys want three minutes of eddie vetter talk well you got it but now we're going to transition to giants football because <laughs> this is going off the rails fast and just and for those of you who like that or didn't like that or whatever feel free to hit me up on dms let me know if you support my Opinion on Eddie Vedder and Hootie and the Bullfish and all those kind of singers who, you know, tend to have that exaggerated voice. But remember, if you need to hum a song and you want to know what it is, head over to Google. It's pretty legit.
2: I'm telling you, uh, Subway's never going to sponsor us after that last shit. podcast, <laughs> but Google should.
1: <laughs> Google should, and we're screwed on the Subway front. And yeah, honestly, that's a fine place to be. I'm completely fine with that. But today we're talking Giants' interior offensive line. As we continue forward, marching ahead to July 27th, we're finally going to get some actual content to break down some actual plays, some actual footage from camp, hopefully. Until then, we're breaking down the depth chart. And we did the offensive tackle group. Now we're going to do the interior offensive line group. And I want to start you with this. On our last show for the offensive tackle group, we rated them on a scale of 1 to 10 versus the NFL. We gave them each. We both gave them a 4. We haven't agreed on an exact number in a while, so it felt good. We both gave them a 4. I want to hear, Nick, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you grade the Giants' interior offensive line?
2: I'm going to say a two right now because it's less than the tackles. And I'm not saying that they're going to be the worst interior offensive line in the league. But there's a lot to prove there. You need all three of these guys to kind of develop and take that next step. We were pleased with what we saw from Nick Gates. We'll go over it a little bit later. But you still need to see a little bit more consistency from Nick Gates. He wasn't one of the top 15 centers in the league neither was either of those guards neither of those guys were top 25 well you can even say top 40 guards in the league last year so well Hernandez COVID kind of cut his season a little bit short he came back and was used sparingly because of you know all the complications he may have faced and now he has to step up and presumably play right guard that's a big question mark so Dude, I got to go with two. And that doesn't give me a, uh, you know, it doesn't make me happy to do that. But at the same time, I'm saying that you can easily surpass that if the development happens. And we're not going to find that out until we start seeing some football.
1: Yeah. I think it's a fair assessment when you consider, like, the reality of the situation, which is one, one of their projected starters was, remember, a fifth round pick. Fifth round picks are mostly bust in the NFL. He played. I get it. He looked okay to pretty good when he was pulling I guess I would say it's more like average he was not a great uh, power blocker right on down blocks or like right on the point of attack so that wasn't by any means above average and he was probably one of if not the single worst pass protecting left guard in the NFL in Shane Lemieux and you have a guy in Will Hernandez asked to move positions to right guard Had a really bad 2020. I think a lot of that was COVID. We'll get into a little bit more of that later. And I'm not going to spoil it before we get to individual breakdowns, before we get to the questions facing position or the bold predictions. But I actually weirdly have more confidence this year in Hernandez than almost anyone on that interior group, which is crazy just to think about. I have a weird good feeling about Hernandez going into this year. I don't know why. It's hard to explain. It's just kind of a gut feel, which we'll get into a little bit of. But the point is, that's still a feeling. And as far as Gates goes, we loved him. He exceeded all our expectations, but then you look at something like, you know, I want to call it, you know, again, with a grain of salt, and we'll take it with a grain of salt, but pro football focus, which is, again, the only outlet that's grading these individuals on an individual, these players on an individual basis on the offensive line, and that's doing it for all 32 teams, graded him out as an average offensive lineman below that mark that you just went over. So with all that in mind, and the depth piece only really being Zach Fulton, who was really bad in 2020. And again, I think he can bounce back too, to a lesser extent than Hernandez. It's not fair to give it any higher than maybe I'm. What I'm going to give it, which is based on my weird gut feel for Hernandez having a good year, I'm going to give it a 2.5. Still not great. I'm going to go with the Dave Portner scale. We got to give the uh, the uh, what do they call it? The points, the decimals. But one bite, everyone knows the rules. Yeah, we're in the yeah. same range though. Exactly, we're in the same range though. So it's not a group we can feel too confident about. I don't think going into the season.
2: Yeah, and I I would 100% agree with you. And again. For all the listeners, that does not mean that they can't take the step forward that is necessary for them to become a playoff team. That's well within the reach for them, but they all kind of need to do that. And like you kind of talked about too, Fulton, he's that depth piece. And then you have Jonathan Harrison as well. You have the undrafted guys that they brought in. So Dan is over here coughing his lungs out. You got to ask him if he has COVID. but Nope, vaccinated mother... (laughs) But at the same time, I can see why we're a little... We're all hesitant as Giants fans.
1: Yeah, as we should be. (laughs) Let's get to some individual breakdowns before my lung collapses. And we'll start with the left guard, the projected starting left guard, Shane Lemieux. I have a question for you with Shane Lemieux. Pro Football Focus basically painted a picture of him being the single worst pass-protecting guard in the NFL. They also painted a picture of him being a well-below-average run blocker. So overall, they painted a picture of him the worst, or one of the three or four worst guards in the F. Because I always wonder with Pro Football Focus if they got one grader who's assigned to one player. And I don't even though I worked for them for six years, I still don't know their process there because I was in the fantasy department and I had nothing to really do with the grades. And so I always wonder, like, is there one guy assigned to Shane Lemieux, and he just thinks he's bad, and then he kind of gets the bias in his head that this guy's bad, then he sees another game, and he gives him these... Cause, and again, this is the reason we don't love pro football focus, even though it's the only individual grader, because it just seems like it's too wide of a scale. If you're giving a zero grade in one game, but a 50.7 in another, there shouldn't be... That leaves too much var- error for variance and a margin... Or I'm sorry, error for margin and variance, because... The difference between a 50.7 and a 0.0 grade should be massive, like, and I doubt it was. If we looked at the All-22, I doubt we look at those two games, whatever they may be, and say Lemieux was definitely 50 points or whatever it may be lower. So my question for you, Nick, before
2: we get into anything with Lemieux is, do you think they were fair on him? In terms of pass protection, he was pretty bad. I'm not gonna lie. I think he was a better run blocker than than Pro Football Focus is giving him credit for, and I and I also think he did a little bit better maybe than what you were saying on those down blocks at the point of attack. I think he is solid in, in those areas as a run blocker, especially considering the fact that he was a fifth round pick. But you, but you don't want to consider that fact because I don't think that's fair yes. at all to
1: consider. No, because and I capital. That. It's not. We're not doing. Do we get value? We're doing. Can this guy be a starter?
2: Yes. Yes. And I think he showed signs that he could be a starter, especially from that run blocking. And what did we say? Basically, all throughout the end of the season into the offseason was Shane Lemieux has to improve his pass protection, especially right off the snap. He can't continue to just get beat by quick power moves and just allow just these defensive linemen to just get to the half man quickly and just get around him. Like he has to be able to position himself in a better manner. He has to be able to handle those quick clubs, those quick swipes, and all these like power moves that we saw that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers kind of employ against him. And that was his first game starting, I want to say, on that Monday night game and it was william golston dominated him now domicon Su dominated him at the point of attack with different types of moves Looked like he was overwhelmed like okay jitters you know what i'm saying we're not going to see that probably progress into all these other games maybe a little bit here and there and you kept kind of seeing it at least once or twice three times a game where it was you know second down and seven daniel jones doesn't even hit his back foot he has someone in his face he has to try to escape and then he goes down and then the play is just dead the drive is dead you can't have you can't allow defenders to have that kind of interior pressure. And that was definitely Shalen New's biggest, just uh, negative mark on him in his rookie season. Can that be fixed? Yes, it can be, I would imagine, because, you know, he had his athletic limitations coming out of Oregon. But I do believe with more reps, with more experience more time in the weight room he can hopefully kind of fix all of those things especially from a positioning standpoint it seemed like a lot of those young guys with Mark Colombo and on that offensive line had problems with framing their blocks they did Andrew Thomas did we talked about it on the last podcast Shane Lemieux definitely did as well so hopefully with Rob Sale as we said dirt with the tackles that can stabilize and he'll be in better position to handle that quick power and then just get in the way enough so Daniel Jones isn't hitting his back foot and have a guy right in his face
1: yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think it's okay to say that with Rob Sale, with a full offseason, not only a full offseason by NFL standards because we're returning to normalcy, but also by the fact that he'll be working with that first team from snap one in training camp. And he wasn't working with the first team in snap one in training camp last year. He wasn't working at all with the first team. And so that will help him for sure. Playing alongside Andrew Thomas longer will help him. There's a lot of width factors that will improve for him and i do think he can take the coaching i think his game can improve with coaching like you said one way is just framing the blocks but i do think that there is at least a non-zero chance and i would put it higher than non-zero i would put it at closer to 50 50 at best i would say that he just doesn't have the athletic ability to fix his issue in pass production because it was an issue for him at oregon against much worth at athletes on the interior defensive lines of the pac 12 it was an issue a major issue for him in the nfl last year And that lower body quickness, that was really, if you look at his scouting report, that was what everybody was worried about. That was the reason why a guy who started that many games at Oregon, who delivered that much as a run blocker, who has decent size for the position and decent length for the position, more than decent, above average, was still viewed and billed as a day three pick because of that lower body explosiveness can he get up into that stance quick enough and that may not just be something that can be coached in my mind it's it's hard to say that like can you coach someone to get more quickly into or if he starts to kind of think about that too much he's going to get off balance and he's going to put himself in a worse position i just don't know if the natural lower body fluidity and athleticism is there for a player like lemieux
2: and i think that's fair to question i mean he had 104 true pass sets last year and he gave up 14 pressures on those And he had what 299 total pass sets, 25 pressures, which ranked tied for 24th in the league. But again, he only started half the season, so it's not great. But again, rookie, fifth round pick, all those things kind of get thrown into it. You need him to take that step if you want this offensive line to be as effective as we're going to need it to be if we want the Giants to actually go to the playoffs, actually make a playoff run. We all kind of talk about the NFC East like they're terrible because they were terrible in 2020, but they very well might not be next year with Dallas with Washington Philly I'm not as optimistic on their chances of being a quality football team but the other two I am so this division I mean the Giants really have to earn this dude and if the offensive line is trash Daniel Jones isn't good enough to overcome that even with these other weapons
1: yeah you're completely right but I do want to give a little bit of context to what you said because it is 25 pressures allowed on 299 snaps the NFL leader was 46 pressures allowed by Dakota Dozier, but that was on 614 snaps. So if you just prorate that, Shalane Lemieux is is allowing 50 pressures over that. And he would have, on a prorated scale, allowed the most pressures in the NFL at the guard position. So that needs to be put in context. He was arguably the worst, single worst pass protecting left or offensive guard in the NFL last year. And
2: the tape checks that out too, which is unfortunate. Which sucks, yeah. It's not like, oh, just, he just kind of missed a stunt, and it was Nick Gates' fault because Nick Gates was supposed to be... No, it wasn't well, there's less that.
1: communication issues. That's the biggest issue with Lemieux. Com- I would have loved it to just be communication issues. Yeah. To me, it just could be athletic limitations. Like, how much of a jump can someone have with coaching, with Rob Sale, with the full offseason, all of yada yada stuff that literally every guard in the NFL gets, so we don't want to too much overrate but assuming let's take the leap and say the giants are going to get some of the best offensive line coaching in the nfl or let's say they get top 10 offensive line coaching from sale and my in your mind nick with that included a full offseason a better andrew thomas because he's more used to playing in the nfl a better nick gates because he's more used to playing the center next to him on his left and his right Can you jump from the single worst, basically, offensive guard and pass protection in the NFL? Where's the ceiling? You know, from one year to the second for a player like that, what should we be expecting as a ceiling? And then maybe as the middle ground? And then we know what the worst case scenario is. We don't need to go over that. There's a chance he just doesn't improve. But where's kind of the middle ground and the ceiling for a player like that? In your mind, given that context.
2: I would say he can probably improve to league average. And I would would welcome that, to be honest. In pass protection is what I'm talking about. As a ceiling or as a middle ground? Oh, I would say that's more towards the ceiling. Yes. I don't think Shane Lemieux is going to step in here and just automatically become, you know, the old Kevin Zeitler or anything no. like that. It's not, I don't believe he has, like you said, the athletic capabilities of doing that. He does have pretty short arms. I want to say he's like, in the 12th percentile 32 and one fourth inch arms his hands aren't really that great he doesn't have as much pop i love his tenacity the i short love his, shuttle was brutal yeah i love the tenacity man i love the competitive toughness i love that drive to finish his blocks and do all those things and i do believe he is a pretty darn good run blocker and i do think he's good on those backside pulls i think he's solid as a down blocker as well but man this game is about passing the football and you and you can't allow interior pressure
1: And in addition to that, one of the biggest issues from the athletic profile standpoint is the three cone drill he did he ran that he did an eight one three three cone, which was in the seventeenth percentile among offensive linemen. That right there is supposed to determine agility. And that right there is a big factor in pass protection. The 20-yard short shuttle is another one that some you know, analysts have. I believe Josh Norris of Roto World. I don't know if he's still with them. They're now called NBC Sports Edge and one of the worst rebranding decisions in the history of sports. <laughs> but but uh, I digress. But he ran a 22-percentile sh- short shuttle as well, 20-yard shuttle, which some people believe is extremely important for offensive linemen. Those numbers alarm me for, for sure, especially when they're backed up by the tape. And so I think I'm with you. I think the ceiling is league average as a pass protector. And ultimately, I guess you can maybe get away with that for one year. But I do think the Giants might have made a little bit of a mistake banking on youth here this offseason and not trying to find a way to carve out a few more million to maybe spend at that position and say, you know what, Shane, you're young, we get it, you were okay. But in their... They don't say it to Shane. Maybe they say it to each other in a meeting room. They say, what's the ceiling with Shane? Are we really... Do we really want to risk... This season, where we've put all our eggs in this basket with Jones and Galladay and Tony and the defense improving, and put it all on a guy who may never improve, to be honest, and ceiling is more like league average. I just feel like it's a little, it was a little bit of a stretch. I, I feel like, less so, that decision with Matt Perrett is not as much of a stress because. Parrott, to me, just has the athleticism. Parrot has the profile. Parrott was a little bit of a higher draft capital, which is a good thing, but more so he just has the profile to maybe with coaching take a boom, light year type step. I just don't know if I see that light year type step out of Lemieux.
2: No, I, and I would agree with that too because Parrot does have the feed. He has the length. He has everything that you kind of want to build into somebody. Now he just needs to kind of put all that together. Good coaching can help unlock that. Right. When you have limitations, like Shane Lemieux has some limitations, it's going to be harder to unlock just, uh, just the – Above average starter, you're hoping to get from him. Can he actualize himself and become, you know, a and, and find get the most potential out of who he is? Yes, and that's something that we hope happens, but that doesn't mean he's going to be a top ten or guard or right. anything like that.
1: And that's all I need him to be. And for those of you who just heard me reference Light Year Step twice and had no clue what I was talking about, just know you're not alone. I have no idea what a light-year step is either. I heard myself say it once. Somehow I made the decision to say it again. Light-year step is not a thing, but you know what I meant, like a big step forward. No,
2: yeah, we we got you, contextually. yeah. Yeah, just use the context.
1: All right, let's move on to the next player on the interior offensive line, Nick Gates. Before you break him down individually from your perspective, Nick, I will ask you this when it comes to Nick Gates. To me... And I know during the season, I think I was a little bit higher on Nick Gates than you were just from our discussions, looking back at our podcast, all the All-22 breakdowns we did. I just felt like watching, and this could also just come from you knowing more about offensive line play than me, but I felt like when I watched the All-22, he was just always doing things I love, man. He was always looking for work. He was always doing, had, had one or two great blocks in the second level every game. It felt like I felt like he was nasty at times when I needed him to be. And I just felt like this was a really good center. But my question for you would be this, not why did I feel like that and you didn't. My question for you would be, Why does pro football focus kind of view him in a different light, because he did not grade out very well in pro football focus. He graded out a little, I believe, below average at the center position. What would be your takeaway? And it doesn't do have to go into why pro. What would be your takeaway for maybe why they did that? I guess. And then your overall opinion of what his 2020 season actually was, kind of versus. Because I feel like at some point the lore kind of took over, and the Giants fandom on Twitter and that kind of machine that builds players up and breaks them down. In Ingram's case, they probably broke him down too hard, in my opinion. Although. We're, you know we didn't think he was that good but in gate's case i think they might have built him up maybe a little bit do you feel like that's the case what do you kind of put into i guess yeah like i said why pro football focus had those grades
2: yeah i don't know how pro, uh, pro football focus does the grades exactly but I would say that he was probably around league average to maybe slightly below. But that was still so much more than what I expected right. from him coming in. So he definitely surpassed what I believed he was going to do. So he opened my eyes from that standpoint. But I'd say there were just reps, man. Like If you go back and you watch Week 6 against Washington, he was getting tossed around by mm-hmm. Deron Payne. Okay. Deron Payne owned him at the point of attack. I still think he has those struggles against uh, against stronger just brute strength type of noses and one shades, like the Duran pains of the world. Not to toot
1: your horn too much, Nick, but that was literally what the point you made before last season. We had this exact conversation about Nick Gates before any games were played, yeah. and we knew he was going to be the starting center. This was your concern. Is he going to be strong enough to hold up at the point of attack?
2: Yes, but but he still he showed more strength than I than I thought. To be mm-hmm. honest, I thought he definitely played stronger at the point of attack and a more consistent level than I thought was going to happen. But when he would face top level strength, it, right. it, it was pretty bad. I thought his positioning was solid. I thought when he kicked into space, he had some reps yeah. where you're just like, wow, man, this guy can really kick into space. I thought his climbing up to the second level was solid. His mental ability was far better than what I expected it to be from an undrafted tackle out of nebraska to move to center i mean that's that's really really impressive so he really did impress me but i still think there are uh, things he has to work on lower the center of gravity lower the pad level a little bit you know maybe explode a bit more from you know top to bottom sometimes he He doesn't always explode through the hips. He doesn't – and that just kind of renders or just doesn't unlock your maximum strength or power and driving. I think that is a little critique. But, again, it's not all the time. So it's not something that he uh, has a glaring hole with. But I think that he's not going to ever be one of the strongest centers in the league. Love how he finishes, though. It's freaking awesome watching him finish the competitive toughness he shows from that. But – I'm not really 100% certain the ceiling on the strength portion of Nick Gates relative to other centers, though.
1: Yeah, and I'm not so sure, like, I hear that, and I think you're spot on with that, but I'm not so sure strength is too much of a factor in what makes the best centers in the NFL. It can be, for sure. I mean, like, you look at Frank Ragnow of the Lions, he's really strong at the point of attack, and he was just extended to become one of, I believe, the highest paid centers in the NFL, and for a good reason. But then you look at some of the other guys, like Jason Kelsey from the Eagles, who's done it for a long time at a really high level, and he was never the strongest. He was just super athletic in space. And I'm not saying Gates has that exact level of athleticism, but I do see a pretty solid ceiling for a player like Gates. And I know it's kind of similar to Lemieux in the sense that he was undrafted with versus the fifth round the capital's not there are there athletic limitations sure are there point of you know point of attack limitations sure
2: against top level guys against top level guys yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: but i feel like in the regard that he was really good at which is kind of helping and being really aware high iq as a center in pass production and then second level blocks in the run and screen game both run and pass game depending on you know what the play call is a.k.a. the like, screen plays and you know sh- short area runs, I think he can get better in that regard as well and really improve that nature of his game as well. So for me, I see a little bit of a higher ceiling than somebody like Lemieux heading into the season. I would say he can get into that top 12 center range this year as a ceiling. I'm not saying that's what I think he'll do, but I feel like that's a potential ceiling for Gates.
2: I would agree with that too. Top 12 is something that I would definitely agree with it's just i want him to lower that center of gravity and use that core strength a little bit more there were there were times where he was just engaged in blocks and he wouldn't initiate the contacts and everything was in really good position but he would just allow that pad level to rise and then literally he would get tossed to the ground deron Payne did that like three times in the game i saw i think michael brockers did it Mm. in the rams game so it would happen the steelers game that was his first game starting he had some good reps he had some bad reps but honestly, Dan, just overall, I think he can grow. I think Sale will help that. And I believe that the Giants are in a good place right now with Nick Gates as their center.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, let's dive into our contract year projected starting right guard, Will Hernandez. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to a word from our sponsors.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, let's dive into Will Hernandez, Nick. Where do you see Hernandez heading into 2021? As right now, the projected starter head- going into camp, add a new position, right guard, first time going into a contract season. How do you feel, again, what's the ceiling here and what's the mid-range and what's
2: the floor? It's weird saying it, dude, but I do believe the ceiling is kind of high for Hernandez. We've seen the floor and I know a lot of people bring up COVID and all that other stuff and you have to weigh, weigh that with Will Hernandez, but I think the floor is what we've kind of seen the last two seasons—an inconsistent guard who is below league average, hovers around league average. I think the ceiling, though, Dan, is what a, I think a top twenty guard in the league at minimum. At minimum, um, he was he was a top twenty guard his rookie season. Yeah, he was. Top, I think he was eighteenth. According to Pro Football Focus,
1: I think they actually had him twelfth, if I remember correctly. Oh, really? Okay, maybe. Yeah, his rookie season. I only remember this because I had to do such a disgusting amount of content for twenty four seven sports. I'm like probably pumping out that grade in so many articles. I'm referencing it. I feel like I remember twelfth, either twelfth or fourteenth. It was top fifteen. I would sign up for twenty
2: right now, to be honest. Uh, Yeah, I
1: have a go through Hernandez. I think I have a different opinion on him going into this year, so I don't want to cloud your judgment with my my own thing. Not that it would, but I don't want to, you know change anything or no say no anything I got that, you. you know but let's hear what you're let's, let, let's hear more on it
2: no I was just I mean top 20 is something I could definitely sign up for you're right he'd probably be better than that he just needs to take a pretty astronomical jump from a consistency standpoint because he was yes. entirely too inconsistent last season because there are reps of him driving people to the deck. There are reps of him looking for work, nailing guys, helping his teammates, climbing to the second level, doing a good job picking up linebackers, pulling into space, being a solid lead blocker, even though he is a little bit boxy. There's a lot of reps of him doing all those things. There's reps of him just being basically like a gigantic gorilla with his anchor, like just absorbing contact through his hips and just exploding and like pushing the defensive lineman back who has momentum coming into him. And then there are reps where the guy goes into him and then he gets put right on Skates, he jumps in the air to try to reset his feet, and then he's right back into Daniel Jones. So it's just like, why isn't this product consistent? And that was basically throughout all the games. There's positive reps, there's negative reps. If you look at my computer screen right now, Dan, there's probably 30 clips of Will Hernandez on my desktop that you are looking at right now. A lot of them say neg next to it, meaning negative, and a lot of them they're like good rep by Will Hernandez. So that's definitely a very very frustrating thing and i feel like he sometimes him and nick gates weren't on the same page right i feel like there were times where he would allow you know the defender to attack that half man get to his half man because he thought nick gates was there and nick gates was looking the other direction and waiting for somebody else to possibly stunt over it never really happened and then will hernandez kind of had to get backpedaled and try to like raise the center of gravity of the defender and then it would just end up allowing the defender to disengage rather easily from will hernandez so that that could have been some communication issues along the offensive line overall man i mean last season i don't want to say it's a season to throw out but we expect more from we expected more from will hernandez up to this point we haven't necessarily received that outside of 2018 i think he can give us that in this season and you mentioned it a little bit before that you're optimistic more optimistic about him than lemieux and gates I, i think i'm in the same boat with you yeah,
1: it's interesting with Hernandez. Here's my whole take on Hernandez. I am going to go ahead and say the Giants are very optimistic about the decision to move him from the left to right side because I feel like in their playbook, they feel like it will better utilize his skill set. Why? Because they don't really want him pulling in space. And I think he's going to pull a lot less in space on the right side based on what we saw from them last year because Zeitler did not pull as much as Shane Lemieux pulled. And I don't think that's going to change this year if Hernandez takes over for Zeitler. And why do It's hard to predict because it seemed like Hernandez would be a good puller. But when you watch him in the pro level, he's too boxy. That's what it is. It's simple as that. He's just very boxy. But at the same time, Nick, I think that boxiness is what really helps him in pass protection. And I think when I watch Will Hernandez, I feel more confident with him in pass protection than any single player on this Giants offensive line. And that's crazy to say because there were some inconsistent moments last season, which I believe a lot had to do with the COVID issue and a lot had to do with the fact that he was playing next to Andrew Thomas during the first half before he got COVID when Thomas was playing at a disastrous level and that he was playing Nick Nick Gates for the first half of the season before he got COVID when Nick Gates was still learning the position. But you take out some of those, you add in some of that context and you still have a guy who gets really quickly into that pass blocking stance and can just stonewall you. And it looks like he's been taking that pass blocking stance, you know, thousands upon thousands. Thousands of good reps there. And I know it's not always there. I know it's inconsistent. But during that rookie 2018 season, he flashed a level of offensive line play that not a single person projected to start for the Giants on the offensive line this season flashed. Andrew Thomas at no point flashed that level of upside, not upside, but flashed that level of performance and production. Matt Parrott didn't have many reps, but didn't flash that. Nick Gates did not flash that. Shane Lemieux did not flash that. So he still has flashed that production ceiling that on the field I know it was all the way back in 2018 but on the field was at a higher level than anything they have right now and I still feel like the floor is a little bit higher too because he's not going to be asked to pull as much he's going to be fully recovered off of COVID he worked on getting his body down I believe 20 pounds in the offseason which is only going to help him he didn't look like he was in his best shape last season even before the COVID And obviously the COVID offseason also impacted him because he couldn't work out normally in gyms, you know, everything was different last March, right? Last March, last April, Hernandez maybe didn't train the way he should have or wanted to for the season and get in the shape he wanted to be for that week one game in the season. And so I think all of that is fixable. But from a raw standpoint, the things that aren't fixable, things that You can't coach or you can't train to get better at. He has better than a lot of players on this Giants roster. And I think the move to right guard is going to help him. And I really feel confident about Hernandez coming into this season.
2: I think that's an excellent take. To be honest, you want to know one of the most underrated qualities about Will Hernandez is his ability to unlock his hips and recover if he is beaten past protection or if a stunt does get by him. Mm -hmm. He's so fluid with his hips. And this is something I saw at the Senior Bowl back in 2018. I remember watching O-line, D-line drills. And I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was looking down. I was like... Damn, Will Hernandez has some good hips. And it's you, you still saw it on tape this year against the Rams. You saw it against Washington in week six. There were plenty of times where a stunt would fool Andrew Thomas. And Will Hernandez had to make right. sure that transition with Andrew Thomas was clean. And then he's peeking. He's doing this, man. He has his hands to his left and he's peeking to his right. And then he just unlocks his hips. While his hips are facing left, quickly unlocks his hips, puts his foot in the ground. And he's able to just get enough of the defender to kind of shove him into Nick Gates. And that allows Daniel Jones to you know, stay. Step back and reset his feet to fire the football that happened a lot bro yep. so that is something that i'm really excited about but yeah I, i'm probably <laughs> it's so crazy how this is like cyclical man and it comes back but I, i'm i'm probably highest on will hernandez out of these interior guys like you the interior yeah. guys for
1: it's for me it's for sure i think he's the high ceiling guy and i don't think the floor is as low as it seems because of 2020 so i'm just throwing that season out man i don't think he was prepared for it in the best shape and i think covid really impacted him and again i actually feel like It's surprising because we didn't expect this to be the case. But I think he's going to be a better player on the right side than the left side if he's not asked to pull as much. He's just not, for some odd reason, he's not a good pulling guard. He's too boxy. It doesn't make any sense. He should have been based on his college profile, based on what he showed at the senior bowl against top talent. But he's not. And so I think that will help him overall as well. I'm really feeling good about him. All right, let's transition to the last player we want to talk about in the interior offensive line. He's not the last player that's going into camp, but he's the last player we think can actually compete for a roster spot on this interior group. And that would be Zach Fulton. What do we want to do with Fulton? Because obviously, if you just look at 2020, he was he was one of the only guards in the NFL is bad as Shane Lemieux, <laughs> in pass in protection specifically. One of the only guards. I mean, he allowed 10 sacks. The pressures were right up there. I believe he allowed the second most pressures in the NFL among all guards. But in the years before that, he was an average to above average quality offensive guard. So I know the Giants feel like they bought low here. I know they feel like they're getting an edge on the rest of the NFL because they're going to be like, we can throw it, not throw out 2020, but again, this is that COVID season. They couldn't prepare the same way. And maybe that impacted them. It was a weird season for the Texans as well. Where do you make a full on Is he a good depth piece for the Giants? Or is he somebody who you think is just kind of going to continue on this trend trend that he showed in 2020 that where he's just a really bad guard to be honest
2: I mean the Texans entire organization was just a mess as we've kind of learned so that you can kind of weigh that in but I, I don't want to rely on Zach Fulton similar to I don't want to rely on Nate Solder we hope Shane Lemieux and Will Hernandez are solid in place and they stay healthy but if he is thrusted into the lineup I mean he's gonna have to play better than what what happened in 2020 i mean i remember when the giants signed him i dove into his film man and he was just out of position always lunging high pad level bad hand placement poor timing in pass protection and, and you know that, that offensive line the, the issues along it were, were you know well documented it wasn't a good offensive line but he was one of the worst members of that offensive line if not the worst starting member Oof. you talk to anybody who follows the texans they, they absolutely despise this guy and he's <laughs> Going to be 30 years old in September, that's still relatively young. And like you said, bro, he has a pretty darn good career, man, before this, man. You go back to his Kansas City days where he was able to leverage his good play in Kansas City to get a contract, a really significant contract in Houston. I mean, he was a good guard. And then he also played both guard positions, I want to say. And then in 2019, he has really, he had really, really good tape. He, I think he had 699 Passing sets. He had like four
1: straight really good NFL years. Not really good, like elite, but (laughs) above average NFL years.
2: Dude, according to Pro Football Focus, in 2020 and 2019, he took 669 pass sets. Nice. Yeah. That's like, what are the odds of that, though? Nice. Nice. Yeah, as South Park would say. Nice. Of course. But he surrendered 39 pressures, 27 hurries, 11 sacks, man, from the guard position. In 2020. In 2020, yes. But in 2019, one sack, sack, 28- uh, hurries and then 30 pressures. So still solid amount of pressures. Mm-hmm. But again, when you're on an offensive line for Deshaun Watson, who loves to extemporize and yeah, run around. He also sits in the pocket for he, he sits in the pocket for a while. So there's a lot of that as well. But mm-hmm. I watched the tape. It, it's not great. But maybe in a better situation, in a situation where he's going to be the backup and he he can... I don't want to say develop because he is an older player and he's more of a veteran but learn this system and possibly Mm -hmm. be in a better situation maybe he can unlock that 2018-2019 self but if he can't and he does find his way onto the field it's not going to be pretty bro
1: (laughs) it won't be pretty but I still think I'm a little more confident in Fulton than I was before we went into this because just diving a little deeper before the show he really was a pretty strong to above average player for a four straight year span including as recently as 2019 and I do believe in these this COVID season, excuse I really do. I don't think these guys were able to train the same way they were used to. And remember, these guys aren't in the building during those COVID months. They weren't allowed back in the building, I don't think, until training camp. So they were asked on their own to train on their own with all the COVID rules in place in whatever state they were you know, residing in. I just feel like it was a weird season for a lot of these players. I don't feel as negative, or not negative, that's not the right word, but as worried about Fulton as I was specifically. And again, I don't think there's just like good guard depth to be found anywhere on Regency anyway. He's also so a like, center too. So. Yeah, and he can play yeah. center if they need yeah. him to. Hopefully they won't because we like Gates there. But I feel okay about that. All right, let's wrap up with Jonathan Harrison, Kyle Murphy, Brett heggy Jake Burton, Chad Slade, anything there? I don't think any of these guys really have any real shot to make the roster. I think the Giants will go with one fewer lineman. Maybe they give one extra roster spot here, but I think they're going to go seven. What do you think?
2: I think Chad Slade or Kyle Murphy will make this roster. I think Hagee will get stashed on the practice squad i think harrison has a chance to it seems like they like him and then burton he would probably end up on the practice squad too because he's played tackle and guard at the collegiate level for ucla they'd have to go with
1: eight or nine linemen to get both of slade and harrison on there nine if they want i mean assuming they don't cut fulton or solder
2: yes yeah that's where it's going to get a little hairy i guess you could say i'm not because fulton can play center and he did extensively in 2017 for the chiefs harrison could be up in the air and there's also the kyle murphy effect he can play all over the line but i just we just don't know about his development i think they're interesting pieces to talk about i think a lot of them will end up getting stashed on the on the practice squad but ideally unless one of these guys progressed you know far more than, than what we expected. We don't want to see any of these guys on the football field. And those are They're players we'll learn more
1: about in training camp anyway.
2: Yeah, that's going to be the thing. We're going to learn a lot more about them in training camp when there's actual live pass. When I mean more, I
1: also mean if they have any real shot to make the roster, to be oh, honest. Yes. That there may be. not be a place for them.
2: Absolutely. And Hage, we'll find out. heggys somebody you know, watching a lot of Kadarius Tony film. You see him. Yeah. And, I don't see the strength there uh, mm-hmm. too much, but he's just that veteran guy, smart guy, always in the right position, picking up stones, right. mental processing, that kind of hard nosed, tough grit type of center player. But, uh, you know, he's going to have to out compete guys like Kyle Murphy, who's been around now. They seem to like Harrison. Chad Slade's been around. He's put on some weight, looks good for the position. He also can play tackle as well, so he might have the upper hand, too.
1: Yeah, makes sense. All right, let's get into some questions facing the position. I'll start with this one, Nick. Give me a one to ten scale. Hernandez is signed to a second. Con- Will Hernandez is signed to a second contract with the Giants. One to
2: ten scale. Okay. I'm going to say in this situation, the Giants make the playoffs. Dave Gettleman is retained and Will Hernandez is signed. I'm going to give it a six. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a cheaper deal backloaded because the Giants are in Cap Hell in 2022.
1: Yeah, I don't think they're in—I know Kevin Abrams mentioned that, or it's kind of been talked about that he mentioned that. I Looking at their cap situation, I don't think they're in cap hell. They won't be in an actual cap hell until, they re, until yes, or yes. if they re-sign Daniel Jones Saquon. and Saquon Barkley. That will put them in legitimate cap hell. Then they won't have contract. Then they'll have to start cutting players once they re-sign both of those players, if they re-sign both of those players. Big if, too. Big if. It should be a big if. It better be a big if if you're doing things right and if you're not falling in love with the guys who Dave Connum we already know loves both individually and to massive extent. But they won't really be in capital yet and from that standpoint but my, I'm going to go with a 3.5. This is just my prediction. I don't think they'll re-sign him, but I think they will have such a good year that they can't re-sign him, if that makes sense. I think Hernandez is going to be the highest-graded of Giants offensive lineman, according to Pro Football Profovos. He's going to get a lot of fanfare. I think people are going to be talking about how good of a bounce-back season he had, how strong he was, how, how stout he was, how consistent he was. I think he'll play himself out because there are so many offensive line needy teams in free agency, and he's still so young, and he still has that awesome draft billing and people still are going to go back to their scouting reports from the year he was drafted in 2018 and say we had a really high grade on will hernandez i know he only had has one good season as a rookie and he had this amazing season in 2021 this is assuming what i'm thinking which is that i'll have a really good bounce back season and they're going to say we don't care about those in between years we know that for our system he's young enough we feel like we can bank on him and he's going to get a big offer the giants can't afford so i would put it low but it's a good thing it's a good and bad thing it's bittersweet because i think it's going to be because of how good of a season he's going to
2: have absolutely and i would sign up for that really good season and he could realistically play himself out of the giants but if he has him yeah. you know i don't want to say mediocre but if he has an average season i could see him possibly being retained but it, on a
1: one-year deal i can see it but it, anything else he's too there's young there's also the
2: franchise tag too which is a no kind of no no thing. they can't afford to
1: franchise tag him yeah no no they're gonna not be in a cap situation unless he and if he's that good he won't be if he's not that good he doesn't deserve the franchise tag
2: yeah it depends if he was average or whatnot. I'm just trying to look forward that to this beat. guard position like what are they going to do after this season I have to keep especially drafting them. if Shane Lemieux is is isn't, not good. yeah. That's going to be an horrendous situation.
1: They'll have to keep drafting him, and they'll have to sign some guys like the Steelers just did with Trey Turner, somebody like that, you know, or a lower-level fill-in veteran stopgap. Mm-hmm. And you could get stopgaps at, at, at interior defensive line. You can get stopgaps at interior offensive line. It may not be what you want, personally. Yeah. I'm not a believer in that. I think you should be looking to upgrade all five positions of the offensive line at all times, and you should not be looking for stopgaps too often. But in their situation with how much they have of strength at all other spots in the roster, with the exception of maybe quarterback and at this point, it's inside linebacker, quarterback. That's about it. And the offensive line, I'd be okay with a stopgap guy, a veteran, if someone gets cut next offseason, or if someone's a free agent and wants to sign a one or two year deal to come to, let's say, the Giants are a playoff team and they can't afford Will Hernandez, something like that. But you know, they look like a potential playoff contender for twenty twenty two. Some veteran may sign a one year deal for a decent price. You don't know. It's yeah, they possible. De- they
2: definitely could. I mean, yeah. I think it's gonna be, I don't, know, maybe a little bit difficult to sign them to that long year deal, uh, longer deal with. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, with their contracts pending, especially if both of those guys end up blowing out this year. Dave Gettleman selected both of them, and it could be that you know both of them get retained if they can prove to live up to the billing that they were drafted, especially Daniel Jones, a sixth overall freaking pick. Yeah. I would love for him to take that step forward, but... I mean, we're going to have to wait and see if that actually materializes. But yeah. no, man, Will Hernandez. But I do
1: want to be on the record as just saying, and I know you don't disagree with this, but I want to be on the record. as. And if you disagree with this, I would like you to say it, yeah. actually, by the way. But otherwise, I want to be on the record that Big Blue Banter, at least Dan Schneider, Big Blue Banter thinks, under no scenario, even if he has seventeen hundred yards or two thousand total yards, should Saquon is it a plus EV move for the roster building of this franchise to re-sign Saquon Barkley and make him the highest-paid running back in NFL history? Under no scenario is that a good roster building move.
2: I don't, I don't want that either, especially with all the young talent the Giants have at this moment. That's it definitely would be not a something devastating move for their roster. But that essentially says you get. What two more years with Saquon Barkley? Three if you use the franchise tag on him. But if you're going to franchise him and then not pay him, it's going to be like a Washington Football Team situation with Kirk Cousins. I like that. I think that's yeah, maybe that's the best gonna way to play. To, it. That's going to have to be the move because if it's not Dan, then that was a horrendous pick because he basically had two seasons. Oh, yeah. of really it was bad a bad pick. Regardless,
1: it's never going to be a good pick. There's no way to talk it into a good pick. Mm. We know that. we and so- we love
2: Saquon too. That's like the. Sh- it has nothing with the player, part, the person.
1: Yeah. It's all the other factors. We don't, we've already gone over that. We don't need to go back into that, but. I think that would be the best move to Kirk Cousins him, two-year franchise tag, back-to-back. I don't think he'll accept that, though. I don't think that's how it's going to go. Nor
2: should he, probably, in in his mind, if he ends up playing to his As a running back,
1: he shouldn't because you only have so many years. But that's a question for later. We don't need to tackle that one now, thankfully. What are some other burning questions that you may have facing the position that you wanted to uncover?
2: (laughs) If an injury happens to this interior offensive line, there's a lot of versatile uh players who can fill many positions we talked about chad Slate, we talked about zach fulton kyle murphy in your mind who would be the best player to step up if they can live up to their potential in uh, at
1: any position or a specific position
2: let's say one of the guards go down
1: i really do think it's fulton i've talked myself into fulton i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but i've talked myself into him just looking at how consistent he was before 2020 I think it's possible he just took a step back. He wasn't in the best shape. There were things going on with the Texans. And I still feel like out of all the other options, Kyle Murphy, who just may not ever be NFL ready. Yeah, Brett Hague, you said was you know a, a savvy player, but may not ever be NFL ready. And he's
2: more like he played guard in his junior season. Yeah. but it wasn't great. And no. then he went to the center senior season, and it was a little. You don't bit really bad.
1: have any depth at guard. No, or uh, I mean, Jonathan me, Harrison, I guess. For me, it would
2: be Murphy.
1: Yeah. if they
2: can live up to their potential, and if you, if Kyle Murphy can do that, then you can let Will Hernandez walk. It's a big they,
1: jump, though, man. Oh, it is
2: a big jump. From where absolutely. he played
1: a year off. So he, for what would happen if that were to happen, you yeah. would have to play where what Rhode was Island? Yeah, what level was that? That's Two, FCS. Right? Or yeah. it's FCS. Yeah. So you go from FCS to taking a full year off and getting minimal reps, just dumb practice squad reps that doesn't really actually help you at all. In my mind, you're not really hitting. You're not, It's not really that helpful. Getting good coaching. You have two off-seasons of NFL coaching, whatever, strength and conditioning program, and then stepping on an NFL field against guys oh, like Deron Payne.
2: I'm not saying that it's it's scary. plausible. I mean, I'm yeah. saying that if one of these guys can live up to their potential, I would like it to be someone sure. like a Kyle Murphy because he's young. The and ceiling is there. And the ceiling is sure.
1: there. Sure. The I think you're spot on. Yes. He's the highest ceiling guy. I think ultimately the best move would be try out Fulton. If he doesn't work, panic, go to the wire. No, none of the guys in this roster. Panic wire. Because there's going to be someone capable out there. Veteran, maybe he's on the couch, whatever it may be. We'll talk about a few guys later. Uh, There's some questions about some of those guys. But in the end, like, you can probably pick up a guard somewhere that's going to be better than these guys if Fulton fails. But yeah, it's not a pretty thing. Like, the Giants really cannot afford any injuries on this offensive line whatsoever. They do not have depth anywhere
2: no they do not and that's a very scary thing we've been talking about it the entire off season because you got all these shiny toys but you're going to need to be able you know in order to use them you need that offensive line
1: yep all right any other questions i mean we tackled most of the big questions facing the position where was the ceiling what's you know where do we see depth i say we move on now to some bold predictions for the position i'll start my bold prediction will be according to pro football focus again take it with a grain of salt but it's probably worth something Green assault doesn't mean nothing. I think Will Hernandez will finish the 2021 season as the highest graded offensive lineman according to Pro Football Focus on the Giants. I
2: think that's a solid... Uh, I think that's actually... It's bold, I guess, but at the same yeah, time... Yeah, because you I would think def- Thomas or Gates. You would think, but I think it's... I think it's not more than likely than not, but I definitely think that's a good take, to be honest. For me... I I bold prediction and this would be bold and I don't even know if I really believe this but I want to put it out there to the universe Dan Shane Lemieux is going to improve those pass protection deficiencies and become a slightly below average pass blocking guard instead of a bottom barrel guard
1: that's I, I don't think that I think it's a good prediction and I don't think it's impossible to happen but I do want to say this Nick when I hear a prediction like that and I think in my head that that's truly a bold prediction just to have him get to a average-ish yes that's not good like it's why are enough. the giants putting themselves in a position where we're looking at bold predictions for one of their starters and it's to get average it's just cra- it's, it's not crazy, it's just interesting to me that they're really putting all these eggs in a fifth-round pick basket. It's not just any fifth-round pick. It's not like a fifth-round pick who had a Darius Slayton-like f- fifth-round pick rookie season. Darius Slayton coming off his rookie season, you could say, we have confidence banking on him. We know we have him at a cheap investment like they have Lemieux, but we know that he's proven a decently high level. Shane Lemieux didn't prove that in his rookie season. No. Yeah, he pulled pretty decently in space, but he was god-awful in pass protection. and so... From that standpoint, it's just not the same as Slayton. It's not – you're not banking on the two same things. So it's interesting to me, but I think that's a fair enough one. Let's get into some questions from the listeners. We got a bunch. So let's start with – let's just hit them all. Let's hit them all. We can do them rapid fire maybe. Let's start with Brandon Taylor. asked the chances the Giants look at uh, David DiCastro.
2: They seem really content, Dan, with their offensive line. I think if an injury happens, and they'd be really interested in David DiCastro. And I could be totally off with this, but, you know – I'm not, I am not. don't know what DeCastro is going to get on the open market. He's battling back through an ankle injury. The Giants might look at it and be like, hey, we signed Zach Fulton for a reason, and he's going to be that swing guy. At uh, the guard position, we have a bunch of young guys like Kyle Murphy, Brent Hagee, Chad Slade, and they can possibly be the depth if something were to happen. So I'm not 100% certain with the current cap situation if they're going to look in that direction, but I, I would invite it.
1: I speculated on DeCastro when he was released by the Steelers out of nowhere at a time where you do not release people for cap considerations. And I think that I'm going to continue forward with the speculation because I got a DM from somebody who worked, who covered the Steelers, and he said... Look, the reason why I stumbled into your tweet and I wanted to give you some insight on this, the DeCastro thing is that the Steelers don't think that he's done and you're going to probably hear an announcement very soon that he's retiring from football. And that made total sense to me. You don't just cut David DeCastro out of nowhere in June for no cap savings to add a guy like Trey Turner who's been god-awful for two years now. It just doesn't make any sense. So I think he'll be retiring. I don't think he's an option. If he is, that's great. Maybe the Giants do look at him if Lemieux struggles in camp and maybe he says, I'll give it one more go. But I think the injuries have kind of taken their toll there
2: yeah absolutely now we have michael donahue that said offensive line was one of if not the biggest need this offseason why didn't the giants address it outside of fulton
1: it's a great question michael i don't think we have a great answer for it i know why they didn't address it in the draft i think the draft was circumstantial i don't think you should ever 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 force position and picks of need in the draft that's the bad teams the teams that do that are the bad drafting teams so you want to stay on the good side. And in the first round, they didn't they didn't want to the rep- part of the thing here was that they're really banking on their young talent in Shane Lemieux and Matt Parrott. So they didn't want to draft over Matt Parr specifically and they had the Chancellor Sean Slater but when you get to rounds two or three I don't think they should have taken a single offensive lineman over Zizo Ojolari and honestly looking at the next round I don't think they should have taken a single offensive lineman over Aaron Robinson then you get to fourth round range and maybe you can find like a Shane Lemieux type but you're not going to get too much better than that anyway so I don't really think they missed anything there and personally I'd rather have Ellerson Smith with all the upside that comes with him than one of those offensive linemen that was sitting on the board there at four this year we went over it on the, <laughs> the draft podcast but I think there were 30 13 offensive linemen selected in the first 55 picks that is not common that was a bit abnormal and it made it much more difficult for the Giants to find him in the draft now why didn't they do anything in free agency with the exception of cutting their best offensive lineman arguably from last year It's certainly their most consistent in Kevin Zeitler for cap space reasons I don't know I think they were maybe banking on finding one in round two. It seemed like Dave Gettleman was pissed when Aaron Banks was selected before they took O'Jalari, So maybe he had something in mind there. So I don't really know free agency, but I do feel like the draft just didn't fall in the right place.
2: There's one player that does come to mind, and I don't know if he fits the, the culture that the Giants are trying to cultivate, and I'm not saying that this guy has any kind of problems in that area, but he did have medical issues, and mm-hmm. that is Trey Smith. I mean, they drafted Gary Brightwell and Rodarius Williams over him. That's one player that I feel like... Maybe the Giants could have entertained Again, this is a six-round pick who has medical issues It might not have resulted in anything But now he lands in Kansas City And can't you just see like the rich get richer This guy ends up, all those medical conditions go away And I had my problems with Trey Smith But I had my problems with Trey Smith When they were talking about him in the top 30 And in the top 40 And when you get into the right. well into the hundreds And into the 200s Yes, I, I would entertain someone like Trey Smith So that's, that's one thing I think I could say I, I wish yeah. they probably went in that direction That's
1: fine all right. Damaged football damaged fantasy football asks, So the Giants have an interest in a veteran like Russell O'Kong.
2: No, I think they're they're set at tackle right now. They want to start both of those guys and and then and they have Nate Solder. I mean, I would like it if it was, you know, vet minimum, but that's probably not what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I don't think O'Kong is gonna come to a team where he's not guaranteed a <laughs> starting spot, and the Giants have no no intention of guaranteeing him that. So I just think that he's completely off he they're off his radar.
2: Yes. So then we have rs Cantor one who do you predict will make the roster seems like second team left to right is all vets slade wiggins harrison fulton and Solder. and then you have kyle murphy and jackson barton who were on the roster all last year plus the two undrafted guys
1: yeah my prediction for now is that the giants actually roll a few offensive line people expect I and mean, they're going to go seven then they're going to go the five projected starters nate Solder as the swing tackle and then zach fulton as that interior swing lineman They might go to 8, though. It seems like more traditional to go with 8, though I do think they have a lot of other potential guys they like, and they're really deep on defense, and it might be really hard for them in their minds to cut one of these defenders. So I'm not sold on them going to 8. I think more than likely this would be the year they don't go to eight if there's going to be a year they don't go to eight and if they go to eight i'm going to probably go out and say jonathan harrison i think that they feel like he's probably the best veteran there they feel like he can kind of play guard if they need him to probably not though and i just feel like he'll be the guy that makes that last rush about what about you nick
2: I think it's going to be eight, and it would probably be Harrison. Okay. With Slade as somebody who possibly he would be next he has, for me. because he has that tackle. It depends on how they how strongly they feel about Fulton sure. at center. Now they seem like they like him as a backup for the guard position, but do they like him for the backup of the center? Because I don't think he's played it since like 2017.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, Chris Whalen asks on a scale of one to ten, being plug and play above average starter one. Uh, for a one being a total liability, or a ten is a pu- above average starter. What kind of impact do you see Fulton having?
2: I would say Fulton. Say, will Hernandez goes down, Fulton steps in. I'll say like a three.
1: Well, I'm a little higher. I think it'll be a five or six. I think he has four really strong, solid seasons of tape. So it's like,
2: but I, it, what, how are we doing this like relative to the rest of the NFL? Yeah,
1: relative to the NFL, I think he can be like a six.
2: I I would probably. I'm higher.
1: I know because the 2020 tape was bad. I get it. You if that if he's 2020 Fulton, then that's one. one. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
2: All right. So bleed blue, esque says, who is more likely to take a snap this coming regular season, Heggie or Burton? Now for me and burton had played tackle played guard heggie played guard played center i'm gonna go with heggie say heggie just balls out right and they're like you know what you're gonna make the team over jonathan harrison we're gonna put you there nick gates get injured then i think heggie could be a guy who possibly earns center snaps and that would be the path for one of these two guys finding snaps but i think it's going to be unlikely
1: (laughs) i don't think any of those players are making the roster to be completely honest with you but i would go heggie as well Um, Next one is from Misled Offer. Is Kyle Murphy seen as another potential UDFA project to eventually start?
2: I mean, eventually start, it's hard to say, honestly. I think it would just be disingenuous if I weighed in right now because we haven't seen the guy play. I mean, training camp will come back with a different answer, Misled Author, to be honest, but it's just difficult to kind of weigh in on that because I haven't seen the guy play in a while.
1: Fair. Just Some Dude says it's pronounced picture, Nick. Pick- Chur with a C. Yeah,
2: I think I actually replied. To, did I say, what now? Yeah. <laughs> well, what now?
1: Yeah, you know you're wrong on this one, so we'll just let you marinate and sit in that one. All right. Mo Sounds guy says how much do the new weapons, Galladay, Tony plus a healthy Saquon, help can
2: how much can they help the offensive line? I think they can help the offensive line if they can win at the line of scrimmage quicker, allowing Daniel Jones to yes. release the football faster. But overall still if they're getting beat right off the snap, it's it's not great. But definitely football is a team game, all eleven guys are going to help each other. I think the offensive line helps the receivers more than receivers help yes. the offensive line, but I still think the receivers can help the offensive line.
1: Yes, me and Nick are both big believers, and it all starts up front. The offensive line is much more important to the team than the skill players. We'll always believe that. We'll never come off of that. But having said that, I think that to answer your question, Jason Garrett having more weapons at his disposal and maybe becoming a better play caller can do more for the offensive line than anyone they added: Galladay, Tony, or Saquon. If you call better plays, it will help your offensive line. It is that's how it is I mean I've seen enough man Sean McVay has not had a good offensive line for a really long time and that Rams offense still moves the ball with somebody like Jared Goff at quarterback and I can't wait to see what they can do with somebody like Stafford despite the fact that that offensive line once again heads into 2021 not looking that great for Los Angeles And I don't think it'll matter with McVay calling the plays and designing the plays so I think Garrett can be a big factor in this too hopefully he can take a big big step forward that's all the time we have for on tonight's show thank you again for tuning in as always the Big Blue Banter if you want to help us grow the show and you want to help support the show follow us on instagram ny big blue on instagram that's ny big blue then please 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 head over to itunes go to rate review the show leave a rating and review give us five stars write in a question or a comment and we will answer it or talk about it or have some fun And then lastly, check out our YouTube page. Big Blue Banter in the search bar. Nick just dropped a film breakdown of Dexter Lawrence if you missed it. There was also a film breakdown of Daniel Jones from 2020. That's two current giant film breakdowns. Get on over there. Watch them, like them. What are you waiting for?
2: What are you waiting for? Oh, see, I, that was not
1: the reference. That I thought you were going to get I was doing a Rick and Morty reference. Remember, have you ever seen the Fake Doors episode? Of course. Here I'm selling Fake Doors. We got this, we got that, we got that. Come, come get him. What are, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting that's, for? That's, fake that's Doors. That's one of the
2: dimensional cable episodes. Yeah, the first yeah, one, the yeah. original. So yeah. good. Such a good joke.
1: All right, well, ended on that note, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the 4th of July if we don't speak to you before that, but we might. Talk to you soon, and go Giants.